This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome on today's show. We have Raheem Nazareth. He is a judo player. He works with the Vision Sports Ireland and he's currently learning massage. Hello and welcome to the show, Raheem. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good now. Um, are you vision impaired? I am. I'm about 5% in my left eye and none in my right eye. I, uh, I managed to get around. I can see, uh, you know, a lot of colours. I can see uh, all the front of me most of, most of the time pretty, pretty okay. Um, vision has, has deteriorated slightly over the last uh, two years or so, but um, I kind of started to sort itself out a bit. Um, I'm just, you know, looking after getting trained on psychotherapy and drinking some fish oil every day and just vitamins and things like that. It's really working for me. So, yeah. It's all good. And at what stage did you become aware of your visual impairments? Oh, well, God, I'd say it was maybe, God, it was from the age of three or four. I was born with a, I was born premature, uh, two and a quarter pounds, um, or being dirty, and so I was born in Kenya, East Africa, and uh, was, I was given too much oxygen to the incubator, which uh, would have damaged my eyes, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I suppose I was aware of it. going to school. I think was more was when I became more aware. And I went to St Mary's School in uh, over the south side of Dublin, which actually we believe was a girls' school, but they sent a lot of the boys there. Um, in their early years, you know, from the age of between four and seven. So I began to learn. I started off with print, and then I began to learn braille, 
and I suppose as I learned Braille, then I realised that well, obviously it became more of a reality, you know. Um, and then from there I moved into St. Joseph's School for Boys in Grace Park College of Condra in Dublin, in North Dublin. Um, so yeah, it's just mixing with other people who are visiting period in school and using more adaptation from the age, definitely increasing my awareness. And also I learned obviously the differences in how I differ from others who are visiting period or people who have no eyesight at all. So, yeah, that's when the awareness really kicked in. And and did you find it hard uh, adjusting from primary school, which was uh, mainstream, to a adaptive school like Child Vision or St. Joseph's? Yeah, you see, I was I suppose I was always in you could say special ed would be the term from uh, like in primary school, and then when I went to secondary school, I was in um, a co-educational school, which would be a mixture of let's say maybe 10% of the population are vision impaired and the rest are fully sighted. So that, that that adjustment of going from a class of eight or nine students in primary school, which that's all it was, a very small primary school, to going into secondary school with 23, 24 people in a classroom, me being maybe the only one, or maybe one of two, or maybe the only one out of two people in, who were visually impaired in the class and maybe there were 22 others and were fully sighted so you you had to adjust from the point of view of going you had a teacher for each subject and then you had to go around the school with a braille machine in your hand and carrying the braille book on top of that and you had, in between classes you'd have to run and try and get different books for different subjects so it was huge just from there in secondary school you know being, being pushed right into the real world having some supports realising you know that you're not going to get an awful lot of sympathy in, in that situation where, where where you have to get your class some time you have to get your braille book some time you have to get your carry your braille machine around which is a heavy clunky piece of metal and not even always getting the right braille book for each class because one print book at technical school could be about 10 volumes of a braille book if you know what I mean because yeah. braille is quite a large medium a medium of um reading and writing so yeah it, it, was, a, it was a challenge and, uh, but it was an interesting challenge I suppose challenges are what make us and what, what build us make us strong for the future you know yeah and when, they can be. And, and when you finished uh, secondary school where did you go after that Raheem? yeah well I finished secondary school in 1997 and I at the time was toying with the idea of what was it physiotherapy because I was into sports, which I know we'll probably talk about again. But um, I was looking at the computer programming, and to be honest with you, computer programming was the, the, the done thing. And um, I was probably looking at it because everyone else was looking at it, and everyone was saying, oh yeah, do that, do that. But then what I, what I realized very quickly was that I was more a people person. And um, I decided to repeat my leaving cert because I didn't really get the points I wanted. And I went to Rosalind Park College in Sandy Mountain, South Dublin, um, repeated my leading certificate and got a much better results with actually very good support as well. Um, I went and decided during that year of repeating the leading cert, I got kind of more career advice and I looked at really what am I passionate about and you know, where, where, am I, where do my strengths lie? I thought, well, you know, I'm more with people than with machines. Even though I do, I love technology, but 
I thought, no, you know, the, and then I came So I studied social science. I went to UCD, got into UCD and, got a, and uh, studied there for three years, got a degree in um, social science. Um, it was a hard road. College again was another massive uh, learning curve in comparison to secondary school because, you know, I thought the number, the jump was big from primary to secondary. It was, it was just uh, totally massive going into university. Um, I was in a lecture. I remember one of my lectures in first year was uh, 650 people in the lecture hall. Um, I remember going. I remember arriving in UCD, and I just thought this place is absolutely insane. It was. It's a massive, massive campus. It's like a village. It is a village. I mean, it had three, three bars in it. It had whole sports complex, lots of buildings. It just you could actually go from one suburb to another if you stretch. If you actually drove the length of UCD, you'd end up going from one suburb up to another suburb. It was kind of that big. It stretched over two suburbs. You know. Um. So there, I I I suppose that helped by Justin was a lot was that I visited the campus a year before and chatted to the disability officer, and I pretty much knew what I wanted to do, and um, I aimed for that. And I I had started judo as a kid, so what helped a lot was that I joined the, the UCD judo club, and then I actually got to run the club for two years as well, which was great. Um, but going back to the college experience itself. Um, I used the laptop for lectures and I remember I was given some really good advice by this disability officer at the time and I went into chat to her my first thing she said right Raheem let me give you some really good advice you want to survive in this college because she knew that I didn't really know anyone in the college she said the best thing to do is just sit down in your lectures you know lectures are going to be massive just start chatting to someone whoever's beside you just make conversation with them see how you get on I was like, oh, okay, this has got to be nerve-wracking, but I'll, I'll give this a go. So what I would do is I'd go into my lectures with the laptop. Remember, this is 1999. Laptops were not really popular. Um, so that was probably helped me a lot to sit down beside somebody, start chatting to them, you know, how are you, how's things, what do you, you know. And well, I, started, well, I started to make friends in this. What I would do is at the end of the conversation, because, as I said, UCD was so big, I would think people at the end of my conversation, listen, um, yeah, enjoy chatting here. Look, I've bad eyesight, so I'm just bringing it up from the point of view that if I, I see it, if I walk past you and don't say hello to you, it's that, it's that I won't see you. So you have to say hello to me if you want. Know, if you feel like having a chat, and I did a lot of the amount of friends that I made from people coming to me saying, "Oh, hey, Raheem, how's it going? Remember I mentioned such such a lecture? How are you doing?" And God, I ended up making so many friends that way, and then so many. So many people told other people they all about me, and then I had the laptop and stuff that the people often come to me in the bar, shooting bar, even in nightclubs in Dublin City, and say, "Oh, you're the guy you see, you're the guy at the laptop," because as I said, they weren't very popular, they weren't very common, and now now they're quite common, you know. So I think using those strategies really, really works for me, and I think that's advice I was just telling them going to college if they can do that to actually find the effort to chat to people. It's not easy. It's certainly not easy. Um, but I just knew at the time it would either it would either be sink or swim, you know. And you see, like, because I've seen people drop out who are vision impaired, literally because they felt isolated. Because so, you see, when I was there, it had a population of about eighteen thousand students, and that will tell you how big it is. And I think it was then; it's bigger now. Again, um, you actually had no choice. 
really but to try and make friends you know and it really benefited me from the point of view that I said I used Braille I used Braille book people would end up reading for me or talking and I meant they took study while they were reading to me I ended up because I was touch type I was helping to type up their essays so it was really very neutral and beneficial and um, you could say relationship you know and I said it was just a really great way of making friends reading it really helped a lot and do you think that they're the struggles that people, the vision pair people face um, going yeah. to college? I think, yeah, I and mean, not just college, I think any situation, because like if you're vision impaired, you can't see what people are. You go into even a lecture hall, you go into any um, job fairs, you go into any workplace, you go anywhere you go to, meeting friends and bars, meeting people. You have to put yourself out there a bit, which is not easy. And I, I mean, there's times where I still don't do it. But you actually, because you will not see people, you will not recognize your friends, you will not recognize people that easily. Um, I would think that is a struggle at college, but I would think it's a struggle even generally out there. It's just one of the harsh realities that you don't recognize people. A lot of times people might think you're ignorant, especially if, you, if your vision impairment is, is like mine, where it's not obvious that I'm vision impaired. It can be obvious to some people. It turns out observant they are. So it's kind of hidden. So... If you someone would literally think you're ignoring them, you know, they they could they might think that. So I make it very clear to people that I, that don't know me and that I get on my own look. And if I <laughs> I walk past you here, I'm not that I'm ignoring you. Just I'm, I wouldn't have seen you, you know. Yeah, and do you find that frustrating? Yeah, no, really. I don't deal with it as much now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm out there socialising, but. People are more aware now than they were a bunch of years ago. I think awareness out there in society has increased huge amounts. People don't ask crazy questions. I, I always think it's great if people ask questions about business now, but people don't. People, some of people don't assume things as much either, you know, and I think they're more to it in. And you know, I'm, I'm quite open with people, and I often say, look, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I mean, just talk so open about it. Probably open to start off with scrappy, but I literally will say, Oh, yeah, look, um, if I know I'm going to meet someone again, I have a chance, are going to move with me, and I'll often say, Look, you know, I may not recognize you, just want to chat culture, you know. Um, people are people are pretty good. I don't always have to do it, it just depends on the situation. Each situation is different, you know. Yeah, so I mean, it's just, as I said, it's just a it works really well for me and it may not work for everyone we're all very different so yeah um, do you use a, a long cane or a guide dog to get around I don't I have a long cane I carry around with me in a bag um, I, I, during the day I definitely don't use one um, now we're coming into winter months I may decide I may use it I, I'll have it with me um, if we get into an area that's particularly dark I may use it Um. So for me, again, it's an adjustment. I I haven't come to terms with using the DT. In saying that, for me, when I was on holidays last year in the States, I used it a lot. And as I said, it helped because I didn't know the area. You see, I know Dublin so well. I don't need it. Because I didn't know my way around cities in the States, I used it and people were very really helpful. I, I was just amazed. I was blown away by the help. You know? And I think that help exists here in Ireland as well. I... I, I'd like to think it goes, but as I said, when I was in the States, I just, I was really blown away by the, the kindness and the, 
the hospitality and the, the assistance of people there. Fantastic, really. And what is the accessibility like in the States compared to here? Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean I didn't find it I found it okay, but I, I found here where like, people are very quick to complain about Ireland. Like, you know, they don't have the audible chocolates in the States, really. They're not very popular. They don't have... Um, what else was there? I think the legislation is very good. So I think if you're accessing services, generally their, their customer service is just amazing. And the legislation, I think, around disability and around assisting is really good. But I think there's some things that fall down on... Like, I even found assistance in one of the train stations that I maybe missed, like... And people talk about that happening here. Well, I hate to tell people, but it's pretty much common abroad as well. Like, it's happening in, in an airport in Canada. It's a flight as well. Because they forgot. And major people forget. You know, so... I think it's as good as here. I mean, here, I think Ireland is pretty good. I've traveled to a lot of different countries, and I have to say, we're not that far behind. Despite what people think, I think people think people travel more than realize that we are actually quite good. But from my experience, personally, we're not bad as a country for assistance and accessibility. I mean, you've got a hundred percent accessibility now on the bus. Other people will say you don't, but the reality is you do. Um, the darts could be more accessible. You know, the ramps and the darts, as in, as in someone who works on the station has to provide a ramp there. The darts really need to improve their accessibility. The Lewis is, is pretty incredible. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what it's like around the rest of the country. I know in the likes of Linux City and Pulse and Gunkopple's there, and bus services get people out to suburbs. And I think they're accessible as well, but maybe you can correct me on that when you're from Limerick. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm making an assumption, you know. Yeah. From, from what I've seen, they're accessible. They're no floor buses. So, you know, I think things are getting there. I think things are improving. We have come out of a recession. People need to realize that we've been in a recession. Well, I think everyone realizes that. But I think people need to remember that we have been in a recession. Uh, Services have been cut, which is not good at all. It's, it's it's really not good it's not acceptable but it's, it's reality what we've been dealing with now that things are improving financially for the economy I would like to think that things are going to improve with accessibility and I really hope they will over time yeah I, I hope so too um, tell us about how you got into judo yeah um, I got into judo when I was about 11 years of age um, when I was attending St. Joseph's School in Zoconda which is now Child Vision Um. A staff member had, I think, knew well, the judo instructor. Uh, actually, actually, you know, what happened was the judo instructor had, had actually approached St. Uh, Joseph's School and said to one of the staff members, he knew, look, I've seen judo on TV in England. I've seen people competing on vision impaired in Paralympics, European Championships, uh, mainstream competitions. He says, you know, I think this is something you should look at. So, that's how it started up. There was a good few of us in the first class. I remember it was really, I really got into it. I I didn't realize how, um, at the time, I didn't realize what opportunities were there. And I started at the age of 11, but at the age of 17, I really got into it more and more. And um, I was told when I was 16, look, there's a chance here for you to go to Atlanta, the 96 Paralympics. So I went to some European Championships. I actually ranked pretty well. I won a few of my fights. I qualified for Atlanta, went to the Paralympics. 
and there was a lack of players at my level and they, so they, they in order for me to get points for that I so went against guys going for his blue belt which doesn't usually happen and he he defended me I went in for attacking defending in a legal manner which actually that's how I got my injury so I put it down to possible negligence on the point of view of the graders at the time who were grading uh, us for our black belts you know I think it's better to be competing against people who are as experienced as you because I think poor um, poor experience can lead to injuries you know people doing things that they don't realise are illegal or are not are just not suitable when you're when you're playing judo you know Okay How did you get involved with sport, uh, Vision Sports Ireland? Well what happened was see Vision Sports Ireland were used to call Irish blind sports and they funded they would have assisted us in travelling abroad to all our competitions. And um, I suppose I got involved with them. I, I speak to different people who were uh, running the organisation and I had my own ideas because I'd attended a lot of competitions down the years and I saw how things were run. I thought, well, you know, maybe I can give some input here. And I was encouraged to give my input. So I was involved for a few years when I was in college, but on a very kind of the board member nothing really major and then I took a break from it for a while and as I was busy with life generally and then there were a few changes and then the, the organisation had changed its name to Vision Sports Ireland and then I I was at a meeting one day and I, I suggested that you know we needed an adult child protection officer we don't have one and I done a lot of the training in this area so then they asked me well, would you do it and I said okay I'll do it no problem I'll be there in an advisory capacity if any issues come up around adult child protection, you know, where, where we're looking at the safeguarding, we're looking at the well-being of adults and children, you know, or if people feel, I suppose if a child or adult comes to us, well, I mean, what that, that, that role is there to protect an adult or a child who's, who's using uh, vision sports or Ireland services. So if anything occurs, you know, at all, their person feels, um, I don't know, they, they just feel... Comes I didn't want to put in a complaint against I'm there to oversee that process. So I initially came in on that, but then last year I was asked by the chairperson, look, would you come on the board? We actually could do with you. Um, I did, and then I ended up doing the sports development area, which is all voluntary, and I, um, where I, I go and I give talks to schools. Um, I link in with the sports inclusion development officers all around the country. I'm starting to do that now. So we're going to have an information session hopefully in Galway in November where I'm going to be doing a talk, giving a talk to, um, I could say, the vision Care community in Galway. Maybe one or two staff from NCBI will be there. The sports Fusion development officer will be there. And it's just creating awareness of what sports are available to people who are vision impaired. So I'm going to start with Galway in November, December. We won't do anything come to Christmas. Probably January, February, I might go to Sligo. I might look at another area. I'm going to just target different areas just to create awareness. You know? uh, and do you think that an organisation like that, their awareness, what is, what is it like towards the vision impaired community, do you think? Um, I don't know. Positive. I mean, it's like, like the function of Vision Sports Ireland is to actually um, initially introduce people to sports or encourage. So we're there, not, we're there firstly as an advisory advisory capacity so we could have people from other from different clubs like Athletics Ireland or from 
football clubs or from any club coming to us and saying, look, we have someone's vision impaired, or someone in a school, a teacher, you know, we have someone's vision impaired, how do we get involved in sports? That's one function. Another function is that we then support uh, people who are vision impaired to get involved in sports. So we run different courses. So at the moment, we're currently running a judo course for 12 weeks. Started there on the 15th of September. It's going to run until the 15th of December. And that's running today now. It's every Thursday. And my job then is to try and promote that and to get people going to the course who are young, actually of all ages really, who want to try out judo. We also have tennis, in conjunction with Tennis Ireland, and that's in conjunction with judo Ireland, but in conjunction with Tennis Ireland, then we're running a vision pair tennis course. We started there in September, um, and we have it running from two different centres uh, on a Sunday and a Monday, and we had a uh, Another another course they ran there from June from June July, so um, then we would also generally like the Paralympics for example have just been finished they, they finished up there a, a few about a month ago a month and a half ago so we're um, we're going to run a reception now for the Paralympians who are coming who you know in in December so the Paralympians who are at this current Paralympics so yeah we're, we're I suppose we're an overall body for people who are visually impaired to get involved in sports and to advise clubs and parents and teachers, students, advise anyone working in the field of vision terms as well on how uh, young young and old people are like of all ages can get involved in sports. And what is your day-to-day uh, as part of the board of management at Vision Sports Ireland? Well, you see, it's voluntary. So, um, it's like if queries come into the office, a lot of time I will answer them. So if there's queries about equipment, if there's queries about uh, from school, if there's queries about, like for example, like I, you know, a sports development officer, could, a sports development officer could contact me from a sports partnership, local sports partnership, telling me if they're organising uh, events and they want my input around getting people involved, or I will contact, as I said, sports development officers myself, and I will, you know, get them to organise different have a go events, have a go days in their area. Um, again, we also oversee the running of the office, and we only have one member of staff. So again, we just check in with her. So you know, we're, we're, it's just overall running of the of the board and governance, and making sure that we're compliant with the charity regulators. And um, it's budgeting. It's it's looking at how we spend our money in the right ways, and that could be, as I said, running courses and um, also funding funding trips abroad, for example. The B2, B3 football team are going to Austria in November, so we've helped to fund that. So they're going over for a competition. So yeah, our job is to fund that trip and to support any athletes who are going abroad with funding. So yeah, that, that's that's really what we do. And um, you have started doing a massage. Tell us about how you got into that. Yeah, okay, so... As I said earlier in the conversation, I um, was very interested in physiotherapy. Um, when I first went to school, just didn't get the points. And um, <laughs> I my interest in sport, and running marathons, doing judo, getting injured. I went to physios, but also I got a little massage myself personally. Um, went to different therapists, found some effect, found one maybe that was effective, found a lot who were not effective. What I found was the most relief I got was from deep tissue remedial massage therapists. So people who are very much into deep tissue massage 
was also incorporating a lot of stretching, a lot of position release, a lot of taking people out of pain. Um, really, really in-depth massage. Um, and I decided, okay, okay my vision impaired, my vision is getting, is, has been acting up, getting worse. I, I currently have another job, which we may talk about. But I decided, okay, I'm into sports. Um, I train, I know a lot of people in sports. I'm going to actually do this course. So I'm studying currently with the, the National School of Remedial Therapy. From my research of looking at courses, in my opinion, they are the best on the market. I've gone to many therapists from other schools, haven't found them to be effective. These guys have trained, have actually worked with some of the best athletes out there, like Katrina McKiernan, Sonia Sullivan, have even ran with them, have trained with them, have they've worked with some amazing athletes out there and have also worked with people with disabilities, have actually had a, a blind, a person who's blind in the course a few years ago, have had a wheelchair used in the course, so they're very clean with disability as well. Um, so I started the course there back in January. I found the guys who were on the course to be just amazing. They, I mean, they, they gave me a lift out to the course on the first day, they showed me around the college. They were very clued into vision apparently they guided me around, they introduced me to the rest of the class, told the class that it's on. He said to me, do you mind if we tell the class? I said, I said, look, go ahead, whatever you feel. He said it, and I saw there that she was that it would just create awareness for the rest of the class and that if I needed any assistance, I would get it. Um, and then I found their techniques to be absolutely fantastic. These guys will pretty much do their best to fix any injury. And they've given us some fantastic techniques in doing that. I mean, I feel very confident working on most injuries and being able to fix people who are injured. You know, I have to say, and I'm not even finished the course yet, and I'm already working on people myself. Um, I'm quite confident in doing so. Um, I'm actually going away with the football team to Austria now um, in November as their therapist to actually support them. Um, and I'm, I'm also working with other teams as well. I'm working with individuals, so yeah, getting a lot of results. A lot of people are coming back to me, a lot of people are quite happy. You know, get, I'm relieving people for a lot of pain, a lot of injuries. So I'm quite happy with this. It's probably been one of the best things, I'm actually, best decisions I'd say I've made. It's something I really love doing. Um, and once the course is finished, Raheem, is there a, a, a progress or a. An, a the course next? will finish in April. Um, so, yeah, we'll have our exams, we'll have our practical exams around the 8th of April. And so I'm looking forward to that time because I've been very busy with studying, I have to say, every day studying pretty much a lot of bones, a lot of muscles to, you um, pretty much learning all the muscles, most of the bones, or the insertions, attachments of muscles, what they do, their actions, how to fix them, how to, you know, all about the nerve system, all about the anatomy, physiology, skeletal system, there's a lot there. A lot of information to cover and very in-depth as well. And and if anyone wants to, after the interview, look at them, is there a after program when they finish the course? Do you get uh, support after for clients and all that? Or Well, I get my own clients, to, to be very honest with you. Um, they will give us, if, if I ever need to contact the instructors about any queries I have, they'll absolutely give me assistance, um, which is really good. Um, they're, 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 very, uh, they're very good around that. You know, I mean, even during the course, when I've been working with clients and I have a query, I'll email them, I'll ring them, they'll ask me fairly quickly. And, you know, if they don't know the answer, they'll know somebody who knows it. So 
successful yet. They're really good. Excellent. Um, and is this something you feel really happy that you you've that you oh, wish you could have done? Yeah. It's actually something I would have loved to have done years ago. But I suppose I wasn't at that stage in life. I wasn't. I was kind of turning the phone between different careers. I, I was working at the time. I've been working like full time since I would say 2003. Anyway, in my own career. Um, but it was just that, that since the session, my errors have been caught. And I was looking at, okay, how can I, how can I use, how can I complement my skills and how can I look at an area of work that will actually keep me very interested, tie me very well with my hobbies and interests. And I thought, well, here we go. This is something that I'm willing to do well out of, which I've managed to do particularly well at. And I'm not even fully qualified yet, but as I said, I'm working with a lot of people getting results from them. Wow. Do you feel that the the working uh, industry towards a disability is very low toward towards work? Well, what I feel is, yeah, I feel awareness is, is, is part of the challenge out there. Um, we can say that employers are not aware, which is true, absolutely, but we can also say that the levels of education in, amongst a lot of people with disabilities, and, and not just, and I'm not saying male people with disabilities, I'm saying amongst the able-bodied community, we have, you know, there's people in the able-bodied community who are not educators, absolutely, and they can do jobs like low-skill, semi-skilled jobs, working in bars, restaurants, shops, pubs. If that's their choice, that's what they do, and they're happy with that. But then what happens is you've got people with disabilities who are who are, um, who are not educated and who think they can get a job or think they're entitled to a job. But clearly, the able-bodied person isn't entitled to a very good job if they're not educated. But they can, you know, see someone who's able-bodied who does have low-level education, they can diversify, they can either go back to, they can either go and get a job in a certain area or else they can serve their own business or but a person with a disability already unfortunately and this is this is just um, society society has created this construct but society sees the disability before the person a lot of the time so if you're a person with disability and comes to an employer and you don't have an education the employer is going to be saying okay this person has a disability something you need to look at but then they're saying, hold on, this person isn't very well educated. Okay, I can't give them a job because they're not educated. It's not just that they have a disability. So therefore, you've got another barrier. So, like, really, I, and I also see that a lot of people who are well educated with disability can't get jobs either. And that's down to attitude of um, employers, attitude of society. But uh, the point that I'm trying to make is that if you're not educated, there's, there's another barrier straight away. Um, so I mean, I think we currently have I think ten percent of the pop, of the ten percent of the population of Ireland, are, as they say, I think have a disability. You know, maybe over three hundred and fifty thousand people, or maybe a bit more. And I would say a very low level, a very low number of those are working. Um, and again, it is. It's always a struggle to find employment with disability because you're convincing. You are convincing. You're trying to convince an employer from the out from the get go. Okay, I can do this job. Yes, I'm a disability, but look at all these other attributes I have. I'm qualified to do the job. I've got the, you know, if you have the educational, let's say, credentials to do a particular job, you still have to convince them, the employer, that yes, I can do over and above this. And yes, uh, and this can be frustrating for a lot of people. So you, having a disability, you have to be very sure of yourself. Um, going out into the labour force, you have to put yourself across as being very confident. 
you have to go into that interview and you have to look at it and fire in the eye or two or three of them in the eye whoever's interviewing you <laughs> whether you're vision credit or not you just come across that you um, present well um, and when I mean present well I mean present well as in your own um, appearance your how you hold yourself um, you're articulate you're getting your points across you're looking you know, professional um, unfortunately a lot of people and this is a contradiction but a lot of people inside you are fully sighted will always look visually at somebody and will make assumptions even before you open your mouth so and that is just the reality of our society that's the reality of the world we live in and um, this is probably why a lot of people vision impaired are probably not that judgmental because we don't we are judgmental but we don't use our visuals to judge people that easily um, where a lot of I mean, obviously you know a lot of people say 70 percent of communication is visual, which I don't totally agree with. But a lot of people will say it has a huge amount to do with communication, and people will make impressions very quickly, visually, you know, because that's just the way that we're that's just the way that people are programmed. It's you know it's just the reality. Yeah. It'd be cool if we could, if if there was a way of changing that programming or that way society works. But I don't. Think yeah, I think it's happening. I think you know. I think people are just, are becoming more aware. But we, we do live in a society. Um, we do live in a society that very much judges and um, visually. And I suppose again, you know, something that's sexy will sell. And I'm, I mean, I'm talking about a nice car, something that looks really good, or a nice computer. Visually, it looks really good, you know. So I'm not just talking about human beings. I'm saying generally in our society, like you're going to buy a house. A lot of you buy houses. Oh, this is beautiful. It's in a beautiful location. It looks really amazing. The location is fantastic. With beautiful scenery. So basically, what's pleasing to the eye, you know, is, uh, is is very important for a lot of people. You know. I know. Yeah. Do you use an iPhone, or what kind of technology do you use to get around? I use um I use an iPhone. I use it with VoiceOver. Um. I would use a lot of apps on it. So, um, I used, lately in the last few months, I've been using Google Maps a lot. Having to get around now, I, I use it only when I'm going to a new location. And I suppose most people would do the same. <laughs> you know, I'm no different. Um, but it's fantastic. You type in the name of the place you're looking for, the address, or the name of the restaurant, bar, whatever, and it, it pretty much brings you there. Sometimes it can be a bit slow. But no, it does. It gets you there pretty good. I found it mostly. I found it very effective. I have to say. Um, I also use a lot of the apps for there's a lot of transport apps out there for public transport, like for the darts, the bus, the Lewis. Um, they're fantastic. When you got your social media apps like Facebook, and you got your social and your journal, the Journal and Irish Times, and you got you know, email as well. I mean, the iPhone. You know, I'm using my computer less. I'm using my laptop a lot less. I'm using my desktop a lot less because the iPhone is doing so many things that the desktop laptop does. So it's 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 just amazing the functionality. Like I think I can call the the iPhone. It's a Swiss Army Army knife of mobile phones or of devices. It just you know it has so many functions. Yeah, it's quite an impressive device actually. I, uh, I mean, Android users will disagree with me and. and you know they're probably right, um, and they're not because they, you know in their own way they will say that uh, Android devices are more flexible. You can do a lot more with them, um, but accessibility-wise, the iPhone is very ahead. 
some people will disagree with me, but I personally, from my own experience of using Android and using iPhone, I think the iPhone is way ahead of accessibility of Android. Um, I'd say Android will catch up, but they're catching up. And hopefully they will, because we need more devices. Like, we need more devices. I would welcome Android catching up with iPhone and passing them out. Because their devices are better priced, more reasonable, you get more value for money. Um, unfortunately, as a vision impaired person, you're stuck with that whole thing of buying an iPhone. And they are expensive. Yeah, they are. Um, do you are you looking forward to the to the Google car, the self driving car coming out? I am. Yeah, it should be interesting. I'm. I haven't read a lot. I've read some articles on it, but yeah, let's wait and see. If I think we're still a bit away from it, but um, no, I'm. I'm. I'd be interested to see can we trust it as well. I mean, putting your life in the hands of a car of a car with a lot of technology, anything could happen. Hmm. So. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it, but I, it's, a, it's, a, it's very much a, a trusting relationship. I need to get you to that car. Yeah. I I saw there last night on your, your Facebook that you did the um, the restaurant uh, in darkness. Tell us about that. Mm, I did, yeah. I was asked by NCBI there about two weeks ago would I get involved in their preview of Dine in the Dark. So they ran a preview event where they, let's say, they... Um, it was, a, it was an event to launch it. So I know that actually gone in the dark event starting in November. I think middle of November, I'm not sure the exact dates, but we were asked to come along. NCBI had organised They had food bloggers there. So the food bloggers were obviously going to uh, go through the experience of being blindfolded, being brought to the table, eating blindfolded. And then at the end of it, they would blog about it. So my role there was to guide people to their tables, um, which I was nervous about because I only have 5% eyesight. And these people without the blindfolds obviously would have perfect isolation so I had to do a very good job of guiding these guys people in in an area that was not very bright um, but I did I managed to do it I guided about the first first set of people there were six of them and they were all linked to each other in a big train and had to bring their table and get them seated and tell them what, where their plates knives and forks cups were glasses um, I got I got more comfortable as the night went on with the guiding exercise and um it was, it was really positive. I am mean, people enjoying it a lot. Do I like what do I do? What's my job? What, what are my pastimes? You know, how do I do this? How do I do that? Um, I'm happy to answer those questions. I think, I think people, I think, I think when people ask questions, it shows a bit of bravery on their part because they could be setting themselves up to offend somebody, but equally they could be setting themselves up for to learn a whole lot of information and become more aware. Um, Personally, I'd never be offended by anyone asking me questions. I always say, look, I'd rather you ask me a question, no matter how stupid or ridiculous you think it is. I'd rather share my, you know, share my experience with them. I mean, people are because they're genuinely interested. I think that's what we need to remember. Yeah, and did you feel kind of, uh, how did you feel about guiding these people in an environment? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. Um, I said it was challenging. It was uh, it was good for that to hear their views. You know, they were all really interested in in in, in guiding and you know how to guide. And they asked me then how I got around. And they, as I said, you know, they, they were they were themselves very interested. So for me, yeah, it was it was good. It was challenging, but it was good. 
you know, nothing happened, nothing went wrong. So that that was that was a good comfort. And do you think these those events like that could educate the people more about visual impairments? Yeah, they could to a point. Now, I do think they could do with the restaurants being a complete darkness, actually not blindfolding the people. I think that, that would make it more real again. But no, the, the blindfolding is good. It's good enough. And, you know, um, I think it's important. I think it's... I mean, the more people who actually attend the Diamond Dark events in November, the more awareness it's going to create. You know, with social media out there, the more people are going to be sharing these experiences over social media. I'll get the word around and um, I think it'll be very beneficial for NCBI, for people in the general public who are visually impaired. For, I mean, the amount of people that do that will actually say, oh my God, I never did that before. Jeez, that's amazing. And then when they see someone who's visually impaired out there, they, they might actually go and offer them assistance randomly on the street or randomly in a restaurant or whatever. I think this, this is really important. I think this is really important. I think, you know, um, it's great to see that MCBI have taken this on, given it a go, and that restaurants are getting behind us. Yeah. Um, if there was a a cure miracle in the morning, would you take it? So it's a good question. I would take it from the point of view of driving, because I'm a car fanatic, which is a kind of a cruel, <laughs> cruel way to live because I can't drive. That that kind of car fanaticism has come from my dad and my uncles who were into rallying and building cars in, in Kenya and East Africa. And these two safari rallies and used to build a lot of cars for safari rallies. And um, yeah, if, if, I, if there was a cure, I would take it because I was running behind the wheel of a car and just drive. Um, everything else, yeah, everything else wouldn't really matter as much. I, I'm, I'm very happy with life. I love my life. I love the people I've met down the years. Being visually impaired has brought me experiences that I would never ever have 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 had if I was fully sighted. Like I have had experiences in my life that my brothers, my family, most of my friends would never have had. Um, being visually impaired, you know, meeting the people I've met, um, taking on all the challenges I've taken on. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'd give it up if I could get into a car. Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. But otherwise, as I said life is good. You know, yeah. there's no complaints here, really. It's challenging, but hey, challenge is good, as I said earlier. Without challenge, sure, what's, what's the point of living, you know? Yeah. Do you do you think having a vision impairment is burden, but yet the experiences you, you gain from it are huge? Yeah, I think I would say that. It's a burden, but you know what? Yeah, as I get older, it could become more of a burden. I'm not sure at the moment if I call it a burden. <sighs> It is challenging at times, but yes, what, 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 the way you put it there is very true. The experiences have just been massive, uh, huge, and you know, going to Parliament, it's just like water skiing, running marathons, and people I've met through vision impairments, people I've, the things I've experienced, um, you know, a lot of traveling, a lot of, yeah, there's been so many, and then the kindness of you and of humanity, actually. Um, because you don't always see that if you if you're fully sighted and you're going along and minding your own business and not asking for assistance and not getting assistance from anyone you don't see actually the kindness of the world and I think um, I've seen it I've seen people are just they're coming out saying do you want a hand do you want to help do you want this do you want people are unbelievable you know gives you faith in humanity and equally I've seen people who are not very nice and who that's the 
few and far between. You know, they are few and far between. And it encourages me to ask for assistance more and more. I, I was very shy to do it in my 20s and 30s. I'm now late 30s now, but shy to do it from the point of view of not of being vain and, and being independent as well on top of that. But then I just see that the benefits of asking for assistance are huge for me and for others. Where would you like to live um, in the world, Raheem, with your vision permits? Mm, well, I love Ireland, of course. But when I was a kid, I went to Canada for four months. Yeah, I was age 12. And I went from a special ed school here to a mainstream school there for four months. I wasn't even a citizen of their country. And the support I got there were just massive in comparison to anything I ever got here. And I think if I... I think... I'm not, I'm not sure now as an adult how good the squad would be. But if, if they were that good when I was a kid, I can only imagine that they're going to be pretty good as an adult. So... I would consider Canada, but then there's other things you're going to lose because Irish people are just so friendly, polite, fun, quite sense of humorous. Uh, Ireland actually is relatively is a small country, so it's easier to get around. You're not travelling as long a distance to get from one place to another. Um, <coughs> but yeah, maybe Canada, but as I said... Ireland is pretty good. I know we all get, uh, if you've a disability, you get some sort of financial aid from the government. Do you think it's not enough? Yeah, I think it's not enough. No, certainly it's not enough. I don't get any because I'm working part-time. But I think, I think we should be, even if you're working, you should get financial aid because the cost of disability, with having a disability, there are always hidden costs. Like, you know, if you don't drive, you're going to get taxed every now and then I, I avoid them like the plague but they're expensive when I need them for an emergency I'll get one technology you need money for assistive technology you need money for um, a lot of different things you need extra money because of your eyesight you actually do because things cost more you end up paying more for services because you because uh, you can't see you know yeah I, I, off the top of my head it's fair to see what you pay for but in reality, there's cost of disability. You know, you need to buy technology that's, that meets your needs. Therefore, it could be more expensive. <clears throat> you know, so, yes, you definitely need to be paid more money. Okay, and who who inspires you to, to do your day-to-day things for him? Who inspires me? I think myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> not many people, actually. Um, would you believe... Um, I'm trying to think down the years who has inspired me do you know what as I said so Nelson Mandela has been a great a great man you know he's, you know, he's survived he's gone through some serious tough times um, yeah I don't really know there's, there's not many I mean off the top of my head I can't think of many people I mean there'll be a few athletes over the years, all right, you know, um, like Jason Smith is an amazing athlete, you know, he's a fantastic runner. Um, no, I'd say there are not many because I've been self motivated most of the time, you know, and I know we all can lose our motivation every now and then, but um, well, generally I try to just keep myself motivated by reading a lot, so by training, by just reading a I suppose, yeah, reading uh, a lot of 
inspirational, inspirational general stories. Like I read a book on running and the benefits of running. And there was all short stories about different runners. I can't remember the name, but now, um, I think it was chicken. Yeah, chicken soup for the soul. And it was running. It was all about just running stories, you know. Um, so yeah, I thought just different stories about athletics and training. And, okay. But no, generally I just I just like to be inspired by myself and then my friends I suppose a lot of people who are close to me inspire me you know people who've gone through tragedy and I, I would have known a lot down the years so they would have inspired me I suppose friends down the years people who've come against barriers and got through them if you could give advice to your your 20 year old self what would it be? Uh, it would be to not take life so seriously not to always look at the outcome of everything not to try and control every situation that comes on you, upon you. Um, to get out and enjoy life more, to actually talk to a lot more women up front, ask them out. <laughs> uh, um, basically, um, not be afraid of the outcome of most things. To just get out there and be yourself, but actually be very direct about who you are as a person, which doesn't come at the age of 20, unless you're very, very self-aware and extremely intelligent. Um, so what I would say overall is to just be yourself and not be attached to the outcomes and be clear about what you want who's usually important in life be clear about your own needs and your own wants and don't let anyone tell you otherwise I know you said you, you read books but is there a book that you give as a present to, to friends or family? Is there a book I give to a friend or family? Hmm now, that is a good question. I've read a lot of books down the years, and I would say, um, yeah, do you know what? It's a hard one. It's okay if you don't have an answer, because we all read books, and it's... it's... Oh, I've read so many. Um, um, I would say a lot of what people should read autobiographies. I, I feel biographies and autobiographies are always really good. Any, anyone who's become successful, um, you know, they're really, I think um, the likes of... I mean, Tony Robbins has done some great stuff. Um, I think people should look at him. You know, he's he's pretty good. He's very clued in. Um, and there's a fantastic book, actually, especially for men, called No More Mr. Nice Guy, which actually doesn't mean that you turn into a total uh, person who's, a, who's not nice. What it means is that you're very clear about what you want and that you're not going to go around pleasing others and all the time and that you're going to be very clear about because I think when you when people have disabilities at times you you tend to um, rely on others a lot when you're younger especially you know and we all need these systems of others but then there's times where we we think that um, like you know we think that we have to be always nice to everyone else to get what we want you know I think in the world you know I think it's just a reality because you you're always fighting what you want as a disability. You can be. Now, I don't, personally, I don't do it, but when I was younger, I would have done it, you know? You're always fighting for your rights, you're always fighting for what you want, your needs. And then you're not always sure what your needs are because they change so much. You know, either your vision gets worse or your employment situation changes or your educational situation changes. So, therefore, you have to adapt all the time. You know, you're moving house, you're... Your environment changes. If you were losing a parent, your environment changes. Or if you're a wheelchair user, if you have any kind of disability, your environment changes. You need to adapt. So 
So therefore, it's, it's just, as I always say, be very clear about your needs, what you want. You know, how your needs can be met. Um, and because if you're not direct, you'll never get what you want. You know, because it's not that you do it in a bad way. It's that you just say to people, look, um, can you assist me in this or can you help me this? I need this. Um, so I think this is very, very important because people are, are not mind readers. You know? So I think that's a great book because it talks a lot about how to overcome, you know, how to be a better person, better at getting your needs met, but better at, better at um, just being an all around a person, so around an individual, around a Rounds of person really, and you know, it's important. It's a good book. It it sounds like a very good book. Reem, where can we find you um, and get in touch with you? Well, I'm on Facebook as Raheem Nazarali. Uh, R H I M is the first name Nazarali with an N N A Z A R A L I. I'm just saying that because it's an unusual name, so I'm doing the spelling here. Um, I don't use Twitter. Um, I said I'm more Facebook. Um, I also have an email address if people want to contact you. Maybe you know, we can put it up at the end. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can give my mobile out here either. But uh, you know, people will get me on Facebook if they, you know, if anyone wants to ask me any questions. Um, I don't have a website as of yet. I hope to maybe get one built in the future. With a look at that, around just the massage business. Um, I'm hoping to getting the partnership and another guy around it so it'll probably be two of us setting up together but no that's, that's it people if anyone asks any questions on Facebook just private message me add me private message me um, I generally don't add people unless I know them but if people say they've heard me on the podcast I'm glad that if they want to send me messages let me know because I don't add people I never add people I don't know but I kind of have to have some kind of friendship with the person outside of Facebook to actually add them just the way I am. Bar the massage, do you have anything else planned for 2016, 2017? Um, would you believe I haven't looked too far because the massage is a big thing at the moment. Um, no, I hope to get on a holiday when I finish the course, just have a break for myself. Uh, maybe I'll look for another job. You know, I work currently with the Irish Wheelchair Association as a, as a, as a liaison officer, so I work with getting people with physical disabilities into the workforce into work experience and for an education course I do a lot of life skills and goal setting with people uh, who've acquired disabilities through accidents or illness so maybe I'll look for another job or maybe I'll see this for a bit longer you know I'm always looking out there I'm always out there looking for new opportunities um, that come my way so yeah I'd say we'll just, we'll just see how we get on thanks Raheem for coming on to the show and sharing our stories knowledge and experiences yeah, no, I'm really delighted to do it. I'm really glad that you asked. Appreciate it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.